Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Now that I've told you, you're welcome to forget it right away and use the space that you have left over to chastise something. doesn't matter what. Hello? Are you listening to me? Everything is amazing. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. All right, Annabelle is still on maternity leave. When will it ever end? It's been three weeks now. Um, so co-hosting Adrift this week, um, I don't podcaster, actor, comedian, improviser. All, is, of, is, all of them. Is there a noun for improviser that isn't just improviser? Is no, there a flashy just, No, just improviser. Okay, well, improviser. Yeah. Carrie Ad Lloyd, hello. Hi. I've had, um, you know, carry that weight by the Beatles, boy, you're going to oh, yeah, carry that yeah. weight. In my head all day, I've had, boy, you're going to carry Ad Lloyd a long time. <laughs> no um, one's ever said that before, that one. There you go. You can get that stuck, stuck in good, your head. Yeah. Um, we first met on my old radio show. Um, yes, we did. A couple of years ago, subsequently and and independently, you have become friendly with my wife. Yes, and I think she's told you this. Um, <laughs> when when you were on the radio show, yes. uh, she heard it and oh she accused me of flirting with you. I can't believe you're. Bring- of course, you're bringing this up now. This about social. But this is thing. Like I consider you've myself. Lo- you've taken me. You've taken me to a small room <laughs> by myself in your house to tell me that you once flirted with me. Well, this this is the thing. I I think of myself as such an amoeba. In terms of how I come across sexually, amoebas can flirt, can't they? I don't know with, with themselves. themselves yeah, with maybe themselves. Um, it wouldn't occur to me that I was ever flirting with anybody. I'd like to add to this that I didn't think you were flirting. Good on that particular at all. I just yeah. thought we had a nice interview. It was a nice chat, right? Nice chat. But yes, we both got the same surname. It yes, would never occur to me. Which I always find ridiculously exciting when I meet another Lloyd. Yes, I can't help but treat them like. You want your family? Yeah, one of, one of the gang. The same yeah. way that um, is it Morris Minor or Mini Drivers oh, will yeah. always yeah. raise a hand. Yeah. This is what you get to do with Lloyd. And then I did a podcast with your brilliant wife, uh, with another brilliant lady, Hattie Ashdown's podcast, and we met for the first time. We were talking, and she said, "Oh yeah, by the way, <laughs> when you did Jeff's," and she also told me that she thought you were flirting so much that it became a running joke for a while. That yeah, you did, fancied yeah, yeah. Lloyd. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really embarrassing. Because I, I sort of consider myself 
like I know this is a, a weird way to think about it, given that I do have a wife, but I sort of consider myself in, incapable of flirting or coming over as in any any way so attractive to another member of the upper yeah. sex. So it, it just wouldn't occur to me that I was coming over that way. I know what you mean. I this and again, this sounds ridiculous. I can be quite flirty. People will laugh. Who you know, but I can. But I never think that they'll ever think anything of it. Right. Were you an unattractive teenager? And adult, <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I think if you're an unattractive teenager, there's some a voice in your head that's always like, of course not. He's the cool kid from year nine, of course not. So even if I'm flirting, right, you think, I'll never think anyone's flirting back. That's it. You sort of. Yeah. We were talking about this with uh, Narina Palo last week. Oh, yeah. I think she was told. I love her. She's brilliant. She oh. was told by the school photographer, I think maybe she's at age 11, that she looked like a female Michael Foote. <laughs> And and that was the image of herself that stuck. Wow. And so even though she's this very successful yeah, beautiful. and beautiful singer-songwriter, she sees herself as a, an 11-year-old female <laughs> Michael Foote. Some people would like that. <laughs> um, I had it at the, at the week. So, so we've I'm, established you don't... I don't flirt, but okay. I am very needy to be liked. Oh, same. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I had a situation where I was with my wife in a cafe at the weekend where we go s- somewhat regularly. And I think I've got quite bad small talk with one of the waitresses there. <laughs> it's very stilted. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I put the blame on myself. Like, she's very course, friendly. She loves our baby. She's always, yeah. like, playing with him and saying he's a favourite customer. So I'm I'm instantly predisposed to liking yeah. her. But I think my small talk is bad. And And anyway, I had a breakthrough on Saturday where it turned out that she's she does fashion design and she's designing some scarves. Oh, wow. While we're having this conversation, my wife has taken the, the baby to the toilet. She comes back at the exact point I'm saying, oh, well, you, you should show me some photographs of them. I'd, I'd love to see them. And my wife just straight away goes, oh, what are you telling this young lady that you'd like to see <laughs> photographs of? And it's just made my small talk even more yeah. awkward now. It's very, does the waitress have good small talk? It never occurs to me that anybody else is the problem. Uh, I just assume yeah. that I must be the problem. No, because what you ha- I think I equally, <laughs> this is why it's, it's I'm good, I'm here. I'm very socially awkward. And if someone has super good small talk, it makes yours suffer more. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. <clears throat> like if you're someone who struggles with small talk, but then you meet someone who's really on it, like they've just got, they've got everything covered. They've got weather, they've got sport, <laughs> they've got TV. And then you only have like weather. <laughs> It can make you feel even worse, can't it? Because then you're like, oh, oh, you're really, you're being so great. Why do we feel this need to make people who work in restaurants or shops or wherever like us? Uh, well, I do. So I get nice food and it's not spat on. Like, <laughs> for me, it's completely, so it's completely like, please be nice to me. Please bring my food on time. Please um, make, d- tell the chef that I'm nice. Like, don't be, don't do make think that happens? That, look, so we've, paranoid. We've, we've had a, an order for a cheese sandwich. She seems very nice. So can you make it a good one? I used to be a waitress in a vegan and vegetarian restaurant in Brighton, OVS, because it's Brighton. And um, we would never do anything horrible. That's not like, that's not what this story is going, but <laughs> it's going completely off topic because that's what I do. That it was like super vegan and vegetarian. Lots of Brighton people were like, oh, it's so healthy, so healthy. And I'm not joking. Everything came from like Uncle Ben's and Dolmio jars. Really? <laughs> everything. There's a tiny kitchen. Yeah. And this guy would just heat up frozen food and then mix it into me. But, but my point is this: that so, say I was in that restaurant and I was on, on especially good form that day, and I was charming to you, Carrie, Ad, the waitress. Yeah. You're not then going to go into the kitchen and say, "Look, can you leave the dolmio on the shelf and <laughs> rustle up a fresh sauce?" No, but what I difference might, does it make? I might have. If people are nice, like you're more, you might have made sure you got your food okay, mm. made sure it was quicker. Like, I was not a great 
waitress. I'm sure most waitresses just do their job. Mm. I don't know what it is. I just I just want them to like me. That's all, that's all it is with me. Yeah. I just want them to think I'm one of the good ones. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port are adrift with you, which is saying something about you. Please continue to share your stories of being a barely functional human being. I'm uh, leaning on these as a real crutch with Annabelle being off as well. So email hello at adriftpodcast.com. This first one comes from Andy Goulding, who says, One Sunday back in 2009, I found myself with several hours to kill in Nottingham before my scheduled train. Seizing upon this rare opportunity, I bought a book and headed to the Broadway cinema bar which I hoped to find reasonably empty. Upon arrival, I was delighted to find there was absolutely no one at all in the bar, so I bought myself a pint and sat down to enjoy some me time. A couple of chapters in, I became dimly aware that the room was beginning to fill up around me with a strange suddenness, but assuming a film had just ended in the screening room downstairs, I ignored the slight inconvenience of sharing my space with other human beings and continued reading. However, when a group of elderly people parked themselves at my table and appeared to be smiling expectantly at me, I felt unable to sufficiently lose myself in my literary endeavours and looked up from the page only to be greeted by the ominous sight of an array of buffet food (laughs) on the table in front of me. I think we can see where this is going. Um, The old lady sitting next to me pushed forward one of the plates and gestured to the food saying, tuck in, there's plenty here. (laughs) Uh, a little confused, I was relieved of the duty of formulating a suitable reply when the arrival of another patron caused the whole room to stand up and cheer. As they launched into a communal chorus of happy birthday, <laughs> I realised I must have obliviously walked past a private function sign posted outside the formerly empty bar. Suddenly thrust into the role of gatecrasher, I panicked, stood up and joined in with the song, <laughs> pausing momentarily to take a sip of my pint during the third line Ooh, in which clever. the birthday boy's name was yeah because yeah. i mean the panic is just yeah. heading towards that I, thought, I would have just tried to style it out <laughs> yeah, Steve, yeah. Yeah. Um, with the song wrapped up my intention to be to hasty retreat was delayed by the man of the moment's acceptance of the inevitable calls for a speech to my horror the speech in question rapidly became a heartfelt toast to absent friends which caused many of the attendees to burst into tears not wanting to look heartless and having probably already aroused suspicion in anyone who recognizes that a four-line song doesn't require a beverage break three quarters of the way through for me it would be a urination break (laughs) Um, i took this opportunity to remove a small piece of sleep from the corner of my eye in such a way that might convince people I was wiping away a tear without actually having to commit deception. As the speech drew to a close and mingling commenced, I drained my glass in one swift gulp, asked my new septuagenarian crew to excuse me, made as if I was heading for the bar and then sidled my way briskly to the exit to this day. This is still the most memorable party I've ever attended. <laughs> there's, there's something admirable in the way that he he committed to that, committing to a lie is I good. don't think there is. I think, he, why did he just, why did he go so into it? Like, why didn't he just be like, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong room. Like, what yeah. didn't you just say? Do you not think that... that- you are, you either do it at the beginning or yeah, you're, true. you're in. I can see, I can see. But I also think it's funny that someone would then get so committed of like, look like you're crying. Because if he'd scanned the room, I bet you pe- some people weren't. Yes. So it wouldn't have been weird that he wasn't crying, <laughs> but go, oh yes, I'm also going to mime. Going. You could have, you could have felt like, you could have really known the person. And yeah. Like, oh, I yeah, don't But he'd look stoic yeah. in the face of it. I actually thought he'd walked into a funeral. That was my initial laugh. Right. I thought it was right. awake. Yes. So I think he did well to find a birthday party. <laughs> But the fact that he felt he had to go into such an effort, 
I was in, this is again off topic, Jeff. That's my MO. <laughs> I was in the school orchestra when I was like, I don't know, I was at primary school. And uh, what instrument? Flute. Mm-hmm. Why did I choose why did I choose the flute? Because it's easy to carry. So that shows right. you the level of my commitment. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's good. It's small. Like that was genuinely my thought. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't very good. Okay. So I'm it, there's only two flautists in the orchestra, me and a girl called Eleanor. And she was really good. So I would often not play because I couldn't play. Um, but I would like this guy really, I mean, I I'm a performer, so it really looked like I was. So playing. you would be pretending. Yeah, I was pretending. Wait. So then one day Mrs. Martin goes, Oh, something's not right. Can I hear the wind section, please? So we're playing like I know him. So the wind section is, you know, the clarinet's playing, we're playing. Oh, she says, something still sounds funny. Can I hear the flutes? Oh. So I I just mimed along. <laughs> and Eleanor played and she was like, hmm, okay. Can I hear um, you know, I think you were A and B, weren't you? Like so she said, can I hear A, which is Eleanor, because she was better. And Eleanor plays the piece very well. And she's like, oh, Carrad, can I hear you? And I, see, this is how I deal with things. I just fessed up straight away. I went, oh, I've been miming. Oh, wow. I was 10. And I went, I've been miming. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And she went, what? I said, I, I, I can't play. I'm just miming. <laughs> I can't believe that you just came out and said that. Just came out and said it. Brought up by extremely honest hippie parents. So you would only be embroiled in a lie that spirals out of control up to a certain point and then you can cut it down. Wow. I have like an emergency cord of like, just always be like, (laughs) and then she said, well, why, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you here? And I said, oh, well, like, like they told me I had to be an orchestra. And she was like, you don't. So... I just packed up my flute and left. So, and it's not a difficult thing to pack up, as exactly. we've already established. Thank God I chose well. It was, Honesty is the best yeah, policy, as it yeah. turns out. But I think he did well. He obviously did well. This comes from Julie Batty, who says, um, so my contribution to um, the fabulously awkward world of shyness was during a fabulous trip I went on to Asia. It was a short two-week trip, taking a Japan and Thailand before ending up in Singapore. As this was the last stop before returning home, I thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to treat myself to a lovely head, neck and shoulder massage in this really posh hotel. Do you enjoy a massage? Oh, yes. You do? Don't get enough massages in my life. Mm. Yeah. Are you too awkward? Well, here's the thing. I like it when they tell me that I must be really stressed (laughs) and I feel resentful when they don't say that. But as far as the bit with the hands go, I can take it or leave it. Oh, God, no. Yeah, adore a massage. I'd have one weekly, daily, if I could. Um, everything from the start made me very anxious as you handed a robe, flip-flops and some paper pants. Anxiety levels now hitting about 9 out of 10. Yeah, the paper pants are anxious. Yes. And told to get changed and sit in the chill room before the treatment. If anyone with anxiety and or is shy um, is listening, they'll know that sitting in paper pants and a robe is not a chilling scenario. (laughs) I mean, it is chilling. It's chilling, yeah. Yeah, a different way. Um, This, however, wasn't the worst part as I was led to the treatment room when I was asked in broken English, about allergies, and have I ever used honey wax before? This should have been my initial uh, warning yep, sign. Yep. I sat down in the chair, which sometimes happens when you have a top half massage. The lady doing the treatment starts rubbing the oil on my shoulders, but then something strange happens. She starts to ladle this warm product on my shoulders. What I didn't realise <gasps> until it was way too late is that instead of a massage, I was indeed getting a neck and shoulder wax. <laughs> There was a lost in translation moment and I somehow um, managed to massage into wax. Oh my God. As I was too shy and anxious to say anything. It is a lady, yeah. Oh. 
Uh, it's Julie. Um, as I was too shy and anxious to say anything, I ended up just sitting through the session and felt very stupid afterwards for not saying anything. The only positive is that, like most women, I'm relatively hair-free on my neck and shoulders, so it wasn't painful. Um, it took my travelling buddy laughing so hard at me to actually mention <laughs> it to the spa reception and get a refund. Since that day, I've never felt comfortable going for a massage in case I misheard and ended up with a different kind of session. That's awful. So this, this I feel for her. That's so really awkward. If you were being candid carryad at that yeah. point, the second the first wax. Oh, I'd be like, you. You, no, 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 no wax, please, no, ow, ow, no, no massage. I just and I am a very anxious person, but I have a mix of anxiety and honesty. Right. So I I'm anxious, but then I say I'm anxious. I think, I think unusual combination. Your presence will be helpful to people. I think on this podcast yeah. this week. Yeah, you just. But I think also what you realise is once you start pulling the emergency honesty cord, it's like no one minds. Who was it? Yeah, it's, uh, Ian Lee was on the podcast a while ago, and he said. Always, I can't quite get the um, quote right. It wasn't his quote, somebody else's. But it was, choose feeling uncomfortable in the moment um, above feeling resentment in the long term. Oh, yeah. I can't bear the feeling of, I should have done that. I should have said that. That makes me more anxious. So I'd rather just say in the moment. I think my whole life is just feeling I should have said that. I should have done it differently. All these regrets. Well, mine, mine often is too honest. I get the other side. So like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have told that person everything. <laughs> like that maybe was a bad idea. Or I should, I can be, you know, they were just a waitress. I didn't need to say. I feel like you don't trust me. <laughs> that was too much. But I would not have. But lucky that it was a lady who yes. actually said some ladies don't have a lot of hair. So I think if it was a hirsute gentleman. Mm. Well, maybe he would have been pleased. Maybe he'd have been like, great. This comes from Emily Turner, who says, I'm a very new listener as my therapist. Oh, yeah. she's in the right place. <laughs> suggested I listen to podcasts to spend all my time overthinking everything. So now I listen <laughs> to you guys overthinking things instead of doing it myself. Anyway, I have a story about the lengths I've gone to to avoid something. A couple of years ago, I moved into a studio flat in a house with three other flats in it. Previous to this, I'd been living in one flat that was split into bedsits, but all the bedsits in our hallways shared the cost of an internet connection. As the cost of a studio flat in London was already pretty steep, I was hoping to do the same in the new flat, so a couple of days after I moved in, I walked upstairs and knocked on my neighbour's door. A man came to the door, soon followed by his girlfriend. They introduced themselves to me. I, quite awkwardly, explained that I was wondering if I'd be able to pay to split the cost of the internet with them, as it was ridiculous to pay for only one person and their connection would definitely stretch into my flat. They look very apprehensive, so I quickly added that I'd pay for a few months in advance so they'd know it was good for the money. Realising it was something they'd probably want to talk over, I blurted at the end, you don't have to give me an answer right now, but it'd be great if you could let me know in a couple of days, thanks, and then went back downstairs. I spent the next few days in abject terror, worried that I'd made an uncomfortable situation for them, wondering if it would be more uncomfortable to ask them again, and deliberately listening at my door for long periods of time before leaving the flat to assure that no one else was out there. When I never heard anything back, I just got my own internet connection and went on with my daily life until I came home one day and was carrying my bike up the stairs to my flat and ran into the other neighbours. They said to me it was crazy to carry my bike up and down the stairs and said I should put it in the shed in the back garden. I told them I wasn't aware I had access to the garden, but this thought made me very happy as my flat was realistically much too small to keep my bike in. And I'd just heard from the company that ran the bike hangers across the street outside my flat that there was no space anywhere near me and I'd have to go on a waiting list. Just when I started to daydream about life without climbing over my bike, the neighbour added, 
I'd be happy to cut you a key, but just check with the couple upstairs as the garden belongs to them as well. So I just want to make sure they're okay with it. <laughs> Obviously, after the internet incident, there was absolutely no way oh, I was no. ever going to approach them about getting a key to the back garden. So I spent two years no. manoeuvring my bike around my tiny little flat oh, every time I had to open the fridge, hang out laundry or move out my table because my boyfriend was coming over for dinner. It was often in my tiny entrance hallway, which was obviously a fire hazard and has probably done so much damage to my walls, I'll lose my deposit. After the two years, I was finally offered a space in the bike hangar, even though I <laughs> now have a lower paying job and I can't actually afford the flat. I was so excited about finally getting my bike out that I now do a lot of extra tu tutoring on top of my nine to five job so I can stay in the flat and enjoy my hard earned ability to move around freely. Oh, I, get, I, mean, I feel really because I, I feel like she should have just asked. You would have been straight up I there. I would have been straight up there. But I I feel the awkwardness so badly, but that's sort of, it's like a drug. Like, I'll then, I'll jump in the fire. I mean, I'm an, I'm an improviser. That's what improv is. You, well, you're, you're a step ahead. I feel like you're a good person to have on because you're a step ahead of the rest of us. Oh, so we're nice. the ones feeling these things and being crippled by them. You're feeling these things, but you're saying there is another way, people. Yeah, like I am, don't get me wrong, like I would describe myself as very socially awkward and, and I would I would go upstairs, but I would then, I mean, I'm a massive overthinker. I would then talk to my therapist about it. I would then overthink <laughs> it for, for a month. I'd feel sick when I saw them, but I would not let them not, I wouldn't I wouldn't let myself suffer. So I'd be like, I want that bike in the shed. So even though this is gonna haunt me for two months, it's worth it. Okay. And that's I think that's the improviser in me because that fear of going on stage with nothing and having to just make something up obviously is is terrifying. But once you know you can do that, which is why I recommend improv as therapy, once you know you can do it and you can just go on stage, you can do it, you'll survive, there's this your brain starts forming a pattern which is like just jump in the fire somehow you'll be all right um we would love to hear stories from you um as i say i'm particularly leaning on these while annabelle's off and i'm very grateful to you for um continue to cr contribute if you've got any stories about barely um barely functioning in the human race then email us hello at adriftpodcast.com jeff lloyd and annabelle port hi it's a show and it's also a demeanor See, I always do this, Carrie. I'd like, I am now thinking maybe I should do an improv course. <laughs> you do, you should. It fills me with terror, though. Yeah, it fills everyone with terror. Like, Everything nobody, fills me with terror. No, exactly. Everything. So you, what difference is it to like talking to a waitress? You're gonna, you might as well just do it. Why um, are, you, are you, do you do courses? Is there some kind of advert? No, I used to teach. I don't teach anymore since I'm just too busy. But right. yeah, I used to teach. And I, when you teach the classes, again, people always think, oh, it's, you know, a bunch of performers. It's not. It's 50%, you know, performers, actors, comedians, writers, and 50% nurses, web designers, architects, accountants, like people who've never been on a stage before. People who you literally have to say, oh, can you face me when you're on stage? And they're like, what's and why? Why can't I just turn my back and speak quietly? <laughs> but are they people who are aspiring to do no, more of this? No, not always. They're no. just doing it for the confidence. You, yeah, some people, or they just, they, you know, used to watch Who's Line or they've been to see Ostentatious and other great info shows. And um, <laughs> that was a plug. And they just fancy it or like there's something about it that seems fun. Uh -huh. So you get a real mix of people who definitely want to become improvisers, want to become performers. And then I've just genuinely had people just do it because you know, last season they did ceramics and now they fancy doing something a bit more, right. a bit bolder. Here's a question. What is the big mistake in improv? So without ever having done it or, or studied it particularly, it's it's not going along with something, right? Yeah, so the basic 
fundamental rule of it is we call it the yes and. Yeah. So whatever anyone says, you yes and it. So if I say, welcome to the toy shop, you don't go, this isn't a toy shop. You're carry out. We're in a room. Like that means we don't have a scene. But if right. I say, welcome to the toy shop and you're like, yes. And can I have that new doggy toy, please? And I go, yes. And it's 50p. Then we've had a scene. Yes. So it's just, yes, anding. So you agree and then you add something. Okay, so that's that's what a complete novice might do. Yeah. What does somebody who does a lot of improv but is an annoying person, what <laughs> what mistake, what do they do that is bad? Oh, well, there's the, the other, the sneaky trick experience people, we call it the yes, but. Right. So you sound like you're agreeing, but you make it about your idea. Because the idea, the, the ethos behind it is like, hey, here's my idea and you're going to work with my idea. It doesn't matter what you had. Because it doesn't matter whose idea it is, it matters that we work together. That's the principle of improv. improv. Um, but sneaky would be like, oh, you know, welcome to the toy shop. Yes, it's a great toy shop. Uh, we're going to actually knock it down and build a motorway through here. Right. Which would be like me being, I wanted it to be about motorway. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, when you're teaching people who are like, really? Is a motorway, re- like, is that honestly better than a toy shop? And some people are like, yes, I think it's funnier. And you're like, it. It isn't. <laughs> so you're just trying to get people into the, which is why it's so good. You're getting people into the idea that it's not about the ego of the idea. It doesn't matter whose idea it is. Mm. It just matters that we work with what we got given straight away and we accept what we've got given and we move forward. How amazing is that? If you can start applying that to your life, it doesn't matter what you're given, just work with what you've got. And is that true of everything you've ever had from an audience or do you sometimes try and shut stuff, stuff down? Oh yeah, no, like, no, no, no. We, <laughs> Shut because audiences. This sounds bad. But they don't know what they're doing. No, but these some, are these are a bunch of amateurs. Is what you're saying. Well, audiences sometimes don't know what they want, and sometimes one very vocal person mm-hmm. might think they're speaking for the whole audience. Mm-hmm. So you know, when I'm doing the comedy store plays with Josie, and we ask for that's like whose line style games, and if someone's saying, "Oh, prostitute," "Oh, gynecologist." Yeah. The rest of the room might be thinking, "I don't actually want to see another gynecologist." Yeah. So then you're like, "Okay, no, that's you're you're incorrect. You yeah. don't want that." <laughs> Not so much with ostentatious, obviously, because we're asking you to write down an imaginary book title. Can you just remind people what ostentatious is if they don't know? So ostentatious is an improvised Jane Austen show. So we're in full Regency gear. We have a violinist that improvises with us, and you come in, you write down a, a title of a book that doesn't exist. So Strictly Come Darcy, Mansfield Jurassic Park, Northanger Rabbi. Um, nobody puts Bingley in the corner. Breaking CAD, meth comes to Pemberley. Um, are some of the examples. And then we do a completely made up Jane Austen story. So, yeah. so that, And it's hugely successful. Yeah, yeah. We're touring at the moment. We're going to the West End December 5th, um, once a month. We'll be at the Piccadilly Theatre. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, hey, if people want to go and see Ostentatious, how can they get tickets? Uh, you can go to ostentatiousimpro.com, our website, or the ATG website, or the Underbelly website, I think. Loads of websites. Loads of websites. Uh, go to ostentatiousimpro.com and the West End dates are on that, and the UK tour. Ostentatious, as in, as in Jane Austen, as in, in case Jane anybody Austen, missed yeah. that before. Or Twitter, at AustinImpro. We tweet about shows. Please, please, please get in line and stand by the wall. I'm not going to shoot you. This is a show called Adrift. With Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. All right, a couple of emails. This one comes from Lotifus Random Fox. Lotifus, boy's name or girl's name? That's an incredible name. That's all I'm going to say. Lotifus Random Fox. Yes. That's an incredible name. Lotifus is a somewhat regular uh, correspondent and Uh, Annabelle guessed boy's name. Okay. I said girl's name. Who was right? You. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be making such a big deal of yeah, it if exactly. I was wrong. About <laughs> yeah, something. that's actually how I played it. Yeah. And nothing to do with the name. I was like, Jeff seems smug. I guess it was him. 
Lotifer says, hello again. I am a teenager with a soda stream. I'm pretty sure they're coming back into fashion, but I could be wrong. Every single time I use it, I really overdo it, and the water hisses aggressively at me when I take it out of the machine. I don't use the capsules because my family says they're too sugary. I use elderflower squash. Possibly the most posh thing you could ever put in a soda stream. Well, bye. Not um, sure why I actually just took the time to email you a whole paragraph about soda streams, but there you go. The reason I mention it is I just wanted to gloat that a teenager is listening to this podcast. Do you think they're lying? <laughs> because they have a soda stream. What teenager knows what soda streams are? Things are re- things become retro. Though, I don't think they? lot of us may be not a teenager. Okay. I'm sorry, Jen. Okay. I think they might be playing to your ego and <laughs> saying, "I." Who says what teenager says? I'm a teenager. <laughs> that is definitely fake. Fake news. I'm sorry, oh, I thought I was making an inroads with, us, you, with if you. Yeah, no. Youth demographic. Their name is Lotifus Random Vox, which is one, not their name. I, I'm sure they're very nice. They're a regular listener. And that's definitely great, but that's not their name. Okay. Soda Stream, I am over 30 and I'm the last. You're the last of the Soda Streams. The last stream of the Soda Streams. Right. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Lawton writes I had a thought of how to earn some money to keep food on your family's table. You floated the idea of merchandise ready for the Christmas season, but worried that no listener appears to know anyone else who also listens to the podcast to gift the merchandise to. So, how about an Adrift Listener's Secret Santa Club? Ooh. We could each buy one piece of merchandise to be gifted to an anonymous other listener. That's a brilliant idea. Isn't that great? But what's the name of this person? This is Stephen Lawton. Stephen Lawton, are you going to do the admin? Because that's a spreadsheet mm. like it's a great idea and as someone who's organized secret santas before <laughs> that needs someone to be on it but great Stephen, if you're willing to start up excel and do it i remember really putting a lot of thought into a secret center oh. and breaking the rule and spending a lot more than i should have done <sighs> you're like michael from the american office oh did that happen yeah there's a whole episode where he's sort of like in love with the temp so he gives an ipod at the time <laughs> when ipods just came out yeah and everyone is like has given like a little teapot or some gloves and and it's really awkward yeah I've, I've sp- there have been a couple of times when i've spent well over the prescribed yeah, amount it's so awkward and then seen the person open it and look disappointed oh, see that's what that's what happens in the american office is that right he gives ryan an ipod and ryan's happy and then someone else gives him gloves and he's like well what's this i gave an ipod they're like that's not the point of secret the point is you stick to the money otherwise it makes everyone else feel bad yeah because then it looks it also looks like weirdly you have to spend more money to prove you care mm, which is you know if you talk to my wife <laughs> She, she might say there's a, a pattern there. Um, anyway, the, the reason I mention this, we, we keep meaning to think about some merchandise things. I think, yeah, you should. I think maybe knitted is the way to go. Who's going to knit these things, Jeff? This I'm straight away unpractical. Mm. Who's going to knitting takes time? You're right. You're right. You're Unless only right. Unless you have some listeners who like knitting and would like to knit something for you. But then, then it raises the question why then should I be skimming profit off the top of that? <laughs> Whoa, keep that thought to yourself. That's not how you, that's not how you make money, Jeff. Um, but if people just want to outright <coughs> give us money, yeah, um, we would that. really, really welcome that. We have uh, the Patreon set up. Um, but um, if you if you want to give us some money, we, we would love that. Uh, go to patreon.com stroke adrift. You're adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Everything that you always wanted and a friend that was with you all the time who is also watching you closely judging 
All right, I know not everybody likes lavatorial things, um, so you might want to skip the next couple of minutes. But I have, <laughs> or go to the loo. Yeah, go, go, yes. go to the loo now. <laughs> I I have had uh, a stomach bug this week, so I'm a slave to my bowel. I think there's a Louis C.K. line um, about you get to a certain age where every bowel movement is an emergency, <laughs> and I'm very much at that age. And I've had a, a stomach bug, so I've spent the last week trying to not leave the house as much as as possible but on uh on on wednesday of last week i had to for my other job which is um, for american sirius satellite radio on the beatles channel i had to go and interview a 90s pop star at his house about his love of the beatles so uh, it's it's another part of london so i have to take public transport there Mm. i'm not feeling great but i i do feel I've adequately emptied myself at this okay, point. And, and I'm not taking any risks. Uh, I'm, I turn up early, but I think I'm not going to get a coffee because a coffee no, is... No, go right for yeah. you. Um, but I am sort of dry of throat, so I think mm. I'm going to go into a Starbucks, I'm going to buy a bottle of water and I'm going to take a sip. Great. Which I do. <laughs> I take the sip and straight away I can feel things aren't oh, going no, well in my innards. Even a sip. Um, so I think, right, I've got to go to the loo before I go to this guy's house. I look around... There is no toilet. What, even in the Starbucks? No toilet. Oh, I hate Which this. I thought was illegal. No, some don't need to have it. Right. I know. What's the, what's the, where's the cutoff? Is it I, number it, of seats it's or number, It's like size. But they normally, if they don't, you, you ask them and they go, oh, you go to the cafe next door. Like, Which then, I, I am not the sort of person who can go to a cafe and say, oh, hi, what? can I just use your toilet? You've never been desperate, mate. I've been very desperate. Well, then I would always go in and say, can I use your toilet? I, I would rather soil myself. <laughs> I've been told off for just walking in and using yeah, the toilet. Yeah, so I, I, I don't ever out. want to put myself in that situation. Oh, I didn't. I'd rather I'd rather have got the shit out and been shouted at, that, <laughs> which I was. They were like, you didn't even ask. I was like, I'm sorry, I was in a hurry. So so the point being, I turn up at this guy's house yeah. and the first thing I say is say, hi, is it okay if I just pop to your toilet very quickly? Oh, straight away, out yeah. of the bag. So oh. it's, it's, it's fine. So we're, we're in his living room, which is on the ground floor. He's got a kitchen and then um, a, a toilet off to one side in the basement. So I go down into this toilet and given that I just have a sip, sip of water, I, I don't know where <laughs> the, the uh, plentiful product that, <laughs> I mean... You know, sometimes you go into a public toilet in a, in a park or somewhere. Yeah. You go into a cubicle, and it's in such a bad state. Yeah. You think I can't, I can't oh, go yeah, in there. Oh yeah, definitely. Had I mean, that, basically, yeah. that's what I did to his downstairs toilet. <laughs> and then he hasn't got a toilet brush. Oh my god! And I, you know, I have to get in there with a, a tissue, and I'm, yeah. I'm gone a while, <laughs> and I feel like I'm sweating a lot when I, I come back. I feel like it's, it's obvious what's just. Oh, happened. that's so bad. But, but that's remarkably, so bad. it isn't. You know, he doesn't say. Have you, if you just had explosive diarrhea in my toilet, he lets it go. <laughs> oh, but did you say anything? Do you ease no, the no, tension? No, I don't mention it. You were don't two men it. just not going yeah, there. Okay. Yeah. So then goes, I'm just going to go downstairs, get a glass of water. He goes downstairs, gets a glass of water, comes back. He says, oh, I'm sorry about the smell in here today, by the way. I think there's a problem with my drains. And I think there's not a problem with your drains. There's a problem with <laughs> problem, my problem. Problem with my arse, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Wow. So that means he, one, was not suspicious of mm. you going for a long time. Mm-hmm. And two, then he's... He's feeling guilty unless he's playing serious mind games. So what is going on here? Is he being passive aggressive? I don't I I think either he's just genuine genuinely unaware or he's playing some real hardcore mind games and like, yeah, the drain smell and you have to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, so, he's trying to flush me out. Yeah, he's trying to flush you out. <laughs> well, like, like you did with your entire system. What is the correct way to handle this situation? Oh, it's so true. So I 
we've talked about this, Jeff. I equally suffer from not great, not great bowels. They're not always my best friend. And it is so hard. And I do get very awkward about that. Apart from with friends, I'm very honest. I'm mm-hmm. like, I just stank out your toilet. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, I'll tell you something. It's um, In real life, you have to stop me from talking about it because I can, yeah. this, this is my main area of small talk. <laughs> this is where I Jeff, excel. That's where you're going wrong. People don't <laughs> want bowels. They want Game of Thrones and weather. Don't open with, oh, hey, my bowels. Don't literally open your bowels. So I investigated this in this week's The Incident. Adam Kay is a comedian and former doctor. He's got a brilliant book out called This Is Going To Hurt, Secret Diaries of a Junior Doctor. Do you think that people who um, have done medical training sort of by default don't find bodily functions and, and fluids funny? Oh, no, we still find them funny. Uh, we, just, we just develop a poker face in a clinical scenario. <laughs> So, uh, which you, you have to, because yeah. uh, I worked in, uh, in Obs and Gynia, where it was an infertility clinic, sexual health, and people say, people say some pretty mad things. If you, you, know, you have to be in a situation where an 80-year-old man you know, tells you he's been using a sex aid called an arse master, and you have to sort of nod and say, and what size of arse master, and sort of and write it in your notes. It doesn't, doesn't mean you then uh, don't uh, tell all your friends or, in my case, publish it in a book. Um, but, you know, you definitely find it funny. You just, you just get better at poker. How, how common? You know, because we, we all hear these stories about people turning up at A&E with uh, things up themselves. Like, how, how common is that? Would it happen on a weekly basis, a monthly basis? Or is it just that the stories are so memorable um, that even if they happen once in a blue moon, they're the ones that you end up telling? No, it's the thumping baseline of working in uh, in medicine. Wow! And there there is they are constant. Uh, if you work in A and E, you see the most of it. Um, I, I working in gynaecology that offered uh, that that offered a specific uh, route for people to insert <laughs> things. So, um, for instance, just on Christmases, I've had a, a stuck fairy. Um, I've had. Um, a mistletoe contact allergy causing massive vulval swelling. Um, and I said my favourite one was uh, a woman who stuck a string of uh, Christmas lights inside Whoa. and turned them on, Whoa. causing quite significant burns and bringing new meaning to the phrase, I put the Christmas lights up for myself. <laughs> how, how often are people honest about it? I mean, how, how often do they try and make it some excuses to why there are these objects inserted in themselves? They are almost always try and make up an excuse. Um, and uh, the, it, it, there's a name for it. There's a medical syndrome called Eiffel syndrome, as in Eiffel Tower. Uh, so what you write in the notes, uh, which means I fell, doctor, I fell. Um, and, you know, and I remember there was, there was one time when I was, I was junior, I was working in uh, uh, A&E, and I, I believed the patient. It was a very credible-sounding story involving a sofa watching some naked telly and a remote control. Yeah. And I totally bought it for some reason. And then later on in theatre, we, uh, we removed the, the remote control and it had a condom on it. So maybe it wasn't <laughs> a, an absolute accident. I, uh, I once interviewed, you remember Dr. Chris Steele, who used to be on This Morning? And, and he told me a story about, I think when he was training on A&E, um, so somebody came in with a half pint pot up the bum. 
uh, upside down. And the, the only way they could get it out was by pouring plaster of Paris into the into the, 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 the neck of the glass and waiting for it to set because they were worried that it would shatter otherwise. And this guy's excuse yeah. that he was he was um, putting some curtains up naked and he slipped off the windowsill and there was this upturned upturned pipe pot on a coffee table underneath him. And I just think sort of like yeah. how wide and how lubricated were you at the time? If if patients knew how for the, how often it happened, they wouldn't make up excuses. Some of them are completely honest. Um, I had a, a woman who uh, presented uh, to A and E, and they they wanted a gynaecology opinion because she had a, a a bottle inside, and I didn't know what kind of uh, bottle it was, but um, uh, I, I I grabbed it with some forceps and took it out, and it was a full uh, urine sample. Whoa! And and I said. Why, why, why? <laughs> um, and what had happened um, was she was on probation and had to go and provide urine samples, you know, to prove that she didn't have any drugs in her system. And what she was doing was her mum was giving her clean urine samples. She was putting them inside. Jeez. And when she went to the toilet, she would decant it into it. But this, this time it had malfunctioned. It's like rotated lengthwise or something and she couldn't sugar it out. Um, so sometimes they're, they're honest. Um, I had a patient who, um, who presented with um, a loo brush inserted mm. um, bristles first, which as we all know wow. is the most painful way to insert a, a loo brush. <laughs> and he was, he was perfectly honest. There was no, you know, he attended with his, his very uh, handsome boyfriend and they were completely honest about what had happened. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you're professional at the time. And then his uh, his big Italian mother arrived later on and said, uh, oh, thanks so much. You know, they're very thankful in a way that British patients often aren't. Thanks so much. You've, you know, saved his life. And, uh, and thank goodness his friend Philip was staying with him at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, so sometimes good. they're... they're they're honest to the doctors, if not to their family. It's so good. Um, back to back to my particular predicament. If if I find That's myself, it, yes, it is my my anus, uh, my well documented anus. Um, if I find myself in that situation again, does anything work? Like, is is there any emergency procedure I, I could do to to stop myself to give by myself another half hour? I wouldn't. I mean, you can. You can buy things that, that constipate you. In fact, probably the most effective one is if you've got like, anything with codeine in, that'll, mm. that'll do it. But my advice is, you know, just redecorate a downstairs toilet <laughs> um, because it probably needs to come out. Dolly Alderton is a columnist and also one of the most socially adept people I know. Surely she would know how to handle this situation with decorum. That has happened to me before. Um... And it's one of my biggest fears. You know, when you hear those kind of those kind of old hackneyed tales about going to someone's house on a first date and then yes. you do some giant shit and it won't flush, so then you have to put it in your pocket and then and then you leave <laughs> the coat with the big turd in it over yeah, the kitchen yeah. seat and all that stuff. I personally, um I'm not a hugely scatological person. No. I'm not I'm I'm not like a huge I'm not hugely comfortable talking about poo, particularly my mm, own. Mm. So this is not the most dignified thing to do. But I think I think in all honesty, what I would have done if it's someone that I was about to have a do an interview with who I respected professionally, <laughs> um, I would be so mortified at the idea of them thinking about my 
explosive shit in their loo, <laughs> I would come away from the loo. I would clean everything up, destroy all evidence, mm. mop my brow. Mm. And then I would go into him and in all honesty, Jeff, I would have said, I think there's something wrong with your drains. Oh, so you you would have uh, straight away tried to blame the drains. You would have thrown the yeah, drains on yeah. the bus straight away. And right. I'm not I'm not I'm not proud of that. But that is <laughs> that is honestly how I would have dealt with it. Would it be acceptable to say you, you don't have an upstairs toilet I could use? But then they just know you're a dirty fucker and you're about to do a huge <laughs> dump. If you say, do you have a loo that's more, that's in the east wing of the house, that's <laughs> far away from where you can smell or hear, just mm. because I'm more comfortable mm. there, people, people, do, people know. Right. What yes. did you say to, what did you say to him? Did you just go, oh yeah, those damn drains? Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I probably looked a bit shifty, but that was sort of the, the basically <laughs> the way I handled it. So why, why do you think you're so uptight about it? I don't know. I don't know. There's something about poo and me. Um, I haven't delved into it too much on the old therapist's sofa yet. I don't, I always remember there was this awful thing that happened when I was interning at Heat magazine in 2009, where I there were these in the Bauer offices, or it was like communal loos, which was very progressive. And, you know, it was like, I hadn't seen that before, where you go in and literally all employees all go to the loo next door to each other. Mm. And I had a really upset stomach. And I was so desperate for a job. This was like, I just graduated, I would have killed a grandparent just you know to be given that's how bloodthirsty I was to get a job and I really wanted to impress someone there and um had this awful diarrhea in the loo and then but I timed it I waited I kind of watched out all morning to see when it was clear the coast was clear because I couldn't bear people talking about the like intern doing a massive shit did did because also there's something that's like interns are so dehumanized anyway mm -hmm. it would be such a funny thing to joke about in the office like the you know the shitty intern so did the did the massive dump I mean I can barely even say it now and then <laughs> left and then as I left the editor came into the office and it was a big open plan office and he announced really loudly some disgusting bloke has just done a massive shit in the oh. communal loose. And I think someone gave me a side eye, a sympathetic side eye, because I think they had clocked right. that I had been in the loo relaxing with my thoughts for, <laughs> for, for a fair, it was not a quick trip. And it felt really embarrassing. Do you, also, yeah, yeah. Do you not think as a work experience or an intern, the thing you're trying to be is memorable? Um, but that's what I just hated the idea of them all like going to the pub and being mm. like, oh, you know, shitty Dolly Alderton. Or, I, <laughs> I mean, they probably weren't even talking about it and they probably came up with a way better name. Than that. <laughs> I'll never know, Jeff, what the name was. Virgil Dickerson from Denver, Colorado, hosts a podcast called Poop Talk. So, you know, when I ran a record label, I used to go to the punk rock bowling tournament in Las Vegas every year, uh, which the guys from BYO Records used to put on. Mm hmm. And one particular year, a buddy of mine, after many nights of drinking, after way too many late nights, um, he woke up from a nap to go to the bathroom and realized he had pooped the perfect number two. The, the shape and of the my, number two? It was the shape of a two. He did not touch it. It 
it would just happen to come out that way. Wow. And so this was a, during a time when before people had smartphones. And so we had the one buddy <laughs> in our crew that had a digital camera. And so he was called to come check out this two, take a photo of the two and take a photo of our buddy posing next to the two. And so the rest of that weekend, we'd go up to perfect strangers and ask them if they'd like to see the most amazing photo that they've ever seen in their life. <laughs> And it was a bunch of jaded punk rockers. And so they were, the answer was like, yeah, whatever. We'd show it to them. And they were like, that's the most amazing photo I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> to the point where word spread around the tournament and somebody came up to our buddy Fogel said, hey, man, aren't you friends with the guy that pooped the two? <laughs> so this was like as viral of a photo as could have been viral before the internet was really a thing. Like analog viral. So uh, that, that story is a story that, I mean, it's a, it's a longer drawn out story, and it's actually the first episode of my, of my podcast. Yeah. It's called Poop Talk. Yeah. And, and what's, what was the response like to the podcast? Did it resonate with people? It's, yeah. So it's funny because you, know, you mentioned some people are on either side of, of wanting or to hear or talk about it. And the funniest thing that happened is everybody on my social network, anytime there's an article that involves pooping or farting, I get tagged in it. And they're, they're all up there. If people want to find the episodes, they're, they're all still still there waiting to be listened to. Yes. So, um, the, yeah, the best way to find it is just on Sound, SoundCloud. And uh, it's just soundcloud.com slash poop I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There are some things that move down the stream. Some of them are called the Floyd and Annabelle Port. It's coming past you, and on the sail is written G-L-A-P, which stands for GLAP. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. The organization. Adrift. All right, this comes from Gary Joss, who says, Hello, drifters. I feel appropriately awkward making this recommendation, but I think it would improve the drifting experience for our little community. When censoring material for the podcast for legal or other reasons, would it be possible to use a less aggressive bleep? (laughs) The bleep in the previous episode um, saw even on my old eardrum, so I can't imagine what it was like for the younger drifter. Um, Then S in bracket, just in case there's more than one of them. There's more than just a lot of us. Maybe you can source more of a boop than a bleep. Maybe Annabelle could sing as a boop when she returns, anxiously yours, a drifter. So I have on occasion censored people. Mm. And my reason for doing this is, so my parents, I think in the best possible way, are very uninterested in anything I do in my career. Like all good parents. Yeah. Yeah. Like my wife's parents, anything she's ever done, like they've turned up to, they've supported, uh, they've got scrapbooks. No, I mean, yeah. they go around telling other people to consume her product. I mean, they, they are like agents for her. Right, Whereas yeah. my parents just there was an occasion when I was a kid when my cousin Mark Bradley was on Cheggers Plays Pop. <laughs> and that by far has eclipsed anything I've ever done in, in my career in, yeah. in our family. Not, not interested. But my mum is very prudish. Oh, and right. if she ever heard me swear... 
and the chance of her hearing it are so low, but it, it would cause a problem or, or I would feel bad about it. So that's why I've been bleeping oh, things wow. just in case my mum listens to it. But the reason I bring this up is we were having a conversation socially a while ago where you were talking about being very comfortable, not not only to be able to swear, but to, to talk about sexual things with your family. <laughs> Yes, you told me that you have that kind of relationship with your mum where... Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. The sexual thing threw me off. We swear, my family's, I mean, huge fucking swearers. Like, I mean, my mum always complained. She's like, oh, you swear too much. Imagine if you meet the Queen, you'll swear you won't even know. It's like, I think there'll be other reasons that'll be shocking that I meet the Queen that day rather than me going, fucking hell, it's the Queen. But she swears. Right. My dad swore so much my brother swears so much that my four-year-old nephew got stuck on the toilet and his immediate reaction was jesus christ (laughs) like because that's what my brother says all the time no offense to any people who think that's really bad um but my family is swearers then you just can't what can you do i i feel bad i don't have the vocabulary sometimes to find another word apart from fucking hell you're just going to bleep all of this. It's going to be beep, 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 beep. Or boop, 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 boop. He's right. I think the beat can be aggressive, but I, yeah, I just grew up around it. Like, we just don't have another way of expressing ourselves. Right. But my granny, my mum's mum, extremely, like, East End religious. Dot Cotton, that's my granny. That's who she was. Okay, like, it's all okay. You, Dot Cotton and Jim Browning, that literally is my granny and granddad. And she wouldn't even let you say bloody. Is that your maternal grand? Yeah, my mum's side, yeah. So, so what happened, What went wrong with her parenting of your mum that she has such a potty mouth? I think, I think it was me hanging out with my dad. I think because right. he was posher. So we're swearing because I think... That's a weird thing, isn't yeah. it? Posher people are more comfortable yeah. swearing. I think my very working class side thought it was very, you know, uncouth. Whereas the posher, my dad's side, were much more like, oh, give a shit. <laughs> like, oh, right. So you're a product of upstairs, downstairs? Completely. Uh-huh. Completely, yeah. So where do you feel you fit in then? Oh, I like to feel I can straddle both sides. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because my mum's family extremely working class. And then my dad probably, yeah, is upper middle class. But obviously that's, I think English people, Welsh people know what I mean by that. But they were Welsh as well, the dad's side. Which affects things. It does affect things because yeah. then they moved to London. So they obviously weren't as posh as like an English family. Yeah. So they would have been. Pretty... There's London posh as well. Oh, yeah, completely. It's a, it's they a whole kind other of, thing. They kind of got themselves into London posh. I think they had to work quite hard. Wow, yeah. social climbers. Oh my God, you like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Well, I think I sound posher than I am as well. I think some people think I'm quite posh. But you never lived in Wales? No. And did you, But did both parents have a, a thick Welsh accent? No, no. So my, my oh, I know this is, I'm like a, the name Carried Lloyd is extremely Welsh. Yeah. My dad's side of the family Welsh, but they moved when my dad was younger to London. Right. So I'm not, not as Welsh as some people want me to be. No elocution lessons. No, no, I, I'm from North London, so this is this is the, what you're hearing here is a true example of a North London accent in that it sounds sometimes posh and sometimes fucking rough, <laughs> depending on where you're from. Jeff, Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Germans. Drift. Carrie, before I let you go, yes. I wanted to ask you about Griefcast, which oh, yeah. is your podcast, yes. which you've been doing for how long? Um, only about a year, actually, or just over a year. And you're doing yeah. it in se- series, so that you release yes. a bunch and then there's going to be some more soon. I mean, I would love to do it weekly. <laughs> the dream would be weekly, but I have a baby. And since I have 
had the baby, I've noticed that time doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Yeah. Whereas I started it when I was pregnant and I was like, oh, I'll just do this when the baby's asleep, which is a funny joke pregnant women tell themselves. <laughs> yeah. So I've been doing it about a year um, and I've got, a, yeah, the new series will be starting very soon. I promise. I promise. I promise. So I interview different comedian each time about their experience of grief and death. So normally it's a specific experience of somebody that they've known that's died. And it ranges from grandparents to brothers, sisters, mums, dad. You know, I've got one coming up, someone who lost their dog. But it was one of the most important relationships in life. And I got someone, another lady who lost a baby. So it's completely, it's just all, all different experiences of grief. I once, I've never, t- I've never said this on the radio or anywhere, but this is quite embarrassing. And I'm talking about as an adult here. Okay. I once cried when a Tamagotchi died. <laughs> Do you want to come on the podcast and talk about it? <laughs> I think we could get. Uh, I think we get. A whole I get hour twenty out minutes of it. out of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, it's this is the thing because I now speak to so many people about grief. Mm. I have a very low tolerance of some people's grief. Right. Right. <laughs> like that, I would. I can't be sympathetic for you because of the stories I've heard. I'm afraid. I think that thing that were under, I think underlying issues were probably the bigger factor. Yeah. At play there. Yeah. Then had you lost someone else that you hadn't dealt with, that sounds like maybe there was a. Uh, yeah. Is there a grandparent or something? Or I mean, I'm really going therapy here now. I've not had that much grief in my life. Um, Congratulations! Thank you. But um, I've, I've got other st- I've got other stuff. If, if you, you don't, it's not competition. If, Look, if you, I haven't if had you, grief. If you wanted to a, a, a podcast about other aspects yeah. that could make yeah, people sure. feel lost very intensely, yeah. then maybe I can. Uh... But that's the thing. Sometimes people. Some I have two reactions. Sometimes people have had a lot of grief and they're like, "Oh, I'm scared to listen because I think it remind." remind me and I say please honestly listen because most of the stories are uplifting and about people have survived it and it's about a bit like this this is a kind of club of people who are socially awkward and when you hear other people experiencing you think oh great I'm not alone and grief cast is very similar it's people being taught being honest and talking about the weirdness and the hilarity of grief and death the stupid hilarious things that happened to you um so adam buxton came on and he was talking about like when his dad was dying and the guy trying to move his extremely sick father out of this chair and this carer being there and this carer suddenly in the middle of a lift going uh don't i know you oh god right (laughs) which if you've been in that sort of you know it's hilarious but obviously absolutely driven through with pain so you but the other thing is you don't have to be in the club to enjoy it well here's here's the thing i I feel like i am a a bad comforter in the face of the bereaved well then you should listen because we talk all the time about what to say and i get emails from people going oh thank you my best friend just lost someone i didn't know what to do and now i know right so we we every episode we say what do you wish someone had done or what was the great thing that people did and what was the bad thing so if you haven't lost anyone or you know someone who's Greek, because everyone goes through it. It's not like you won't join the club eventually. Yeah. So it's a really helpful way to talk about death in a safe space that isn't sort of like, oh, you can't say this, or you can't say that. It's like, it's just very, it's me. It's very honest. <laughs> it's very honest. So yeah, you. it's hard to talk to people who are bereaved if you don't know what it's like. I had a, a girlfriend who lost her dad. We were in our mid-20s mm. and um, her, her dad died. And I remember sort of being around the house and one of her cousins came along who was sort of going from boy to man. It was sort of, uh, yeah. probably 15, 16. And he gave her mum a big hug. And I really remember her saying afterwards, 
God, that was such a great hug. And I have become quite paranoid subsequently. <laughs> you made it about that, you. <laughs> yeah, about nobody has ever complimented me on my hugging and I'm, I'm worried that I'm a bad hugger because my wife tells me I'm a bad kisser. Um, I love that you watched a grieving family. And from that, Jeff, you went, can I hug as well as this man who's comforting a bereaved woman? I didn't mention it at the time, but it stayed with me. Did you get him to hug you? No, I could have learned Do you know something. what? I'm a really good hugger. What's the trick? The trick is you've got to mean it. Mm. That's the trick. And if I think if you've been bereaved and you're hugging someone who's been bereaved, that the hug you give is in your arms is I know how you feel. Right. And it's like, it's a pain that's very hard to communicate, which is why some people don't understand. Oh, why is that person so angry or sad? They just lost someone. Like, But if you know, you know. Let me tell you what I'm excellent at. <laughs> Check, checking in on the checking in on the grieving. That's brilliant. Right. That's a top tip is keep checking and like, don't ignore I d- them. No, I, I can go for years. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. That's great, Jeff. Yeah. Not everyone has to do the hugging. <laughs> your role is the checking. You're admin. <laughs> Have you, I think everybody has, but have you thought about your own funeral? No. You were kidding me. <laughs> not loads. Not, I haven't really, no, isn't that funny? <laughs> so before my son was born, I would get quite choked up thinking of my unborn and unconceived child <laughs> delivering a eulogy at my funeral. Amazing. Yeah. I think I've just been around so much death that I'm I'm the kind of anxious that would think, you know, you don't know who's going to be there. Like somebody might die before that. Right. Like that's my, I'm super anxious about death ofs right. <laughs> for obvious reasons. So, yeah. Do you have a, 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 I suppose this is an odd question given the subject matter of the podcast, but do you have a fantasy guest? At my funeral? I give podcast. <laughs> I was like, oh, who would I want on my podcast? Um, it's really tricky, my podcast, because, okay, maybe you have this problem, like you might need someone who's socially awkward. So if you're asking them, are you saying, I think you're socially awkward? Right, yes, yeah, yeah. So it's tricky sometimes to find guests because you have to go, oh, I heard your uh, mum just died. Do you want to come and talk about right. it? But luckily what's happened with the success of the podcast or it becoming more well-known, people have now started approaching me. So... um I'm, it's more just when anyone starts talking about oh, it. Oh, the awkwardness of that, though. You like you yeah. say, I don't think your grief is. It's just you're not doing it for me. Or oh, like your grief is good, but you're not well known enough. Oh no, because I'm. If somebody wants to talk about grief. I'm. I will. I think that's brave. Do you know what I mean? I would never sort of. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say. <laughs> Obviously, I do. Of some people are like, nah. Well, I am coming up on 15 years since that Tamagotchi died. So if you if you want to do an episode on that, I'm, I'm hugely available. Well, let me let me ask my listeners, because I do get requests. People do request certain types of death they haven't heard talking about. Uh, the podcast is Griefcast. Yeah. Uh, you can go and see Carrie Allen Ostentatious. Um, the, rewind if you want the details. We've yeah, extensively we covered how <laughs> we you plugged can it. get tickets. Uh, Carrie, thank you. Thank you. that was our podcast thanks for listening and give us your money you can support the show at patreon.com stroke adrift thanks to man and the echo for the backing music and to emily harrison for the incidental music during the incident my advisors this week were adam k his book is so good and so funny it'd make a great christmas present for you or for a loved one 
It's called This Is Going To Hurt, Secret Diaries of a Junior Doctor. Also, Dolly Alderton. Uh, you can pre-order her book, which is coming out in the new year. It's called Everything I Know About Love. And in the meantime, you can listen to her podcast, which is called The High Low. And Virgil Dickerson. His podcast is called Poop Talk, and you can find it on SoundCloud. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox were our announcers and made our idents. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support. Carla Gowlett took the photos and Kim Rainey designed our artwork. Please share your story of social ineptitude. I know I keep saying it, but I really need these with Annabelle being off. I'm leaning on you more than usual, so please do your duty um, to your fellow drifter and me. The usual stuff. Pretending to know what you're doing, shyness is nice, pangs of anxiety, years after the event, hiding stories, or, or, or anything. You, you know the deal by now. Email hello at adriftpodcast.com. And finally, thanks to Carrie Adloyd, who was just brilliant. Yes, but... Adrift. Adrift. Okay, on to the podications. Uh, this first one comes from Kirsty Abs, who says, Ahoy hoy, Jeff and Annabelle, and anyone else who's around. Well, actually, no one's around. Carriad has now left the building, so I'm sitting here alone again. So I've got nobody to tell about the Ahoy hoy, the, the, the Alexander Graham Bell. That was the salutation when he invented the telephone. It's also um, uh, what Monty Burns says, Mr. Burns in The Simpsons, when he answers the phone. Uh, Danny Baker's used it extensively, and, and I don't get to tell Annabelle or anybody that. Anyway, Kirsty continues. I know Annabelle is off on maternity leave, but it felt wrong just addressing a podication to Jeff. And I am, if nothing else, a creature of habit. I'd like to podicate a show as close to the 5th of November as possible. So this is this is the first one after the 5th of November, so I hope that works for you, Kirsty. To the wonderful Rebecca Devlin. Yes, Jeff, we are still listening. This, this, is, this is great to know. I mean, this is some long service on your behalf. The 5th of November is Becky's birthday, and this year it contains both a zero and a three. That makes me feel old. Uh, though not, not necessarily in that order, and that won't happen again for another... 100 years. Whilst I am good enough for a friend to remember her birthday, I'm not good enough a friend to actually acquire her Canadian address and send anything of value. So I thought the traditional podication would suffice. Uh, it was lovely to finally meet you both, Jeff and Annabelle, at the Roundhouse show in the summer. However, I feel my nerves and shyness got the better of me and you pro um, probably came across as a bit of a wreck. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that's, you know, my, I'm, I'm usually so busy worrying about my own nerves and shyness that I'm not taking it in, but I'm sure that wasn't the case. Uh, that's not how I remember it. I hadn't been that nervous about meeting someone since I met John Tickle in 2011. Um, John Tickle of Big Brother fame. And I know Becky appreciated the Skype conversation. We had often talked about coming to One Golden Square to visit the then show, but the logistics of a visit containing the two of us became very complicated after I got a responsible job and Becky crossed the ocean. I feel like in some way the roundhouse was the closest we'll get to achieving our plans. I don't know. Life's long. Who knows where it will take us? Kirsty and Becky. 
I don't want to make you feel old, too late, uh, so I won't go on about how we've listened since our teens, but I will give an example of how the show integrates with our lives. When I message Becky to tell her that I too am pregnant, her reply asked if I'd recently got a dog. Right, this is Annabelle's... Uh, uh, Annabelle attributes it to, to that, doesn't she? Yeah. Uh, also, I'd inadvertently helped Annabelle on her marrow plight by sharing a stuffed marrow recipe with my slimming group, which they all went mad for. And Becky's been educated the Canadians about the marrow as they seem to not exist over there, uh, or at least not in the part she's currently living in. Oh, my God, maybe I could be like Sir Walter Raleigh uh, with a potato and introduce that to Canada and become a marrow billionaire. I mean, it would involve learning about agriculture and moving to Canada, but still. Um, I'll wrap up now. I know I said that weirdly. I'll wrap up now, is how it should have been, as I'm sure you have better things to be getting on with. Actually, I've got to edit this um, so I can get it out on time, and I've got a takeaway coming. Like playing with Eugene, he's in bed, or seeing your lovely wife, she's out. I hope she's not making a cuckold of me. She's out often of an evening. Um, Happy birthday, Becky, and thanks for the decades of friendship. All the best, Kirsty Abs. Used to be Jackson to the longer listeners. And this one, I mean, here's a name. Um, Millicent Brimacombe, who says, Dear Jeff and Annabelle, I would like to request a publication for my best friend, Sophie Moynan. You very kindly gave me one um, for her back when you were on Absolute Radio. We were avid listeners to that from our teenage years, early teenage years. Jesus, and making me feel old again. As I mentioned last time, she moved to Canada. This is a weird coincidence of publication here. Uh, when we were 16. But this summer, to celebrate as finally finishing university, she came back and the two of us went interrailing around Europe. This is interrailing. I mean, I never did it, but I feel very warmly towards it. There's something slightly retro about it because people tend to go off to like Thailand and Australia and I feel warmly towards uh, interrailing. Um, you were very helpful. Oh, um, and that's when we finally found your new podcast. We were so excited to have you guys back in our lives. Oh, you guys. Um, you were very helpful to us when we were on a night train from the Czech Republic to Poland. We were suddenly alone in this very dark carriage, stopped for some reason just on the border, and suddenly we heard this man shouting about tickets not valid in Poland, and he threw these boys in the carriage next door off the train. We had to put your podcast on to calm us down. Sophie went back to Canada a few weeks ago now, and I miss her very much, but it's nice to have you guys back to connect us again. Many thanks, Millicent Brimacombe. Sorry, my wife just texted. I should have turned my phone off, shouldn't I? Oh, she's home. Right, I'll go down. Um, so there we go. Uh, the latest edition of the podcast. Um, and I just want to say that if you are sending in podications, I'm trying my best to keep on top of them. I don't have a bulldog clip, but I'm, I'm getting there slowly, so please bear with me. I don't know when Annabelle will be back. Um, She's not here next week. I know that for a fact. But uh, And I went to see her the other day. And I, I don't know. It didn't seem like it was imminent, put it that way. But uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm trying my best. But you know, do email if you want a podcation. I, I will, uh, I'll, I'll get it on there for you. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. And that's the latest edition of the podcast. Podicated to Millicent, uh, podicated Sophie Moynan uh, from Millicent Brimacombe and from uh, Kirsty to Becky. And uh, that's our podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review and tell other people about it as long as you're sure it won't damage your friendships. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.